Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 13. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word today, we need his help. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we often take for granted that each one of us probably owns many Bibles. And so often they sit dusty on our shelves. But Lord, we come to your word today knowing that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That as we hear from your word, that you are at work changing us, comforting us, convicting us. But Lord, we need your spirit to help us, to give us the ears to hear, the heart to receive. Would you grant that to us now in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. All right, well, we've been going through the Psalms this summer, and as the weather has been turning, our sermon series will be turning soon as well. And next week will be our last week here uh, at Community Baptist. It'll be our last week in the Psalms. It's hard to not hit on some of the similar topics time and time again, as oftentimes David is writing these prayers, these songs, in the midst of trials and strife. And today, I think it's helpful for us to think again about the topic of prayer, to look at the prayer here we have of David, that it might give us some instruction on how we ought to pray, that it might reveal to us how we can relate to God, that it might point us to his son. We don't know the particulars about what's going on in David's life. Of course, we know there are many times and stories throughout his reign of sedition and him fleeing from enemies. But what's interesting about this particular psalm, and and oftentimes as David writes, he doesn't give us the context, and in some ways that's almost more helpful for us, because when we read about David and we read about the things that happened to him and we read his prayers, sometimes it can seem like it's not relatable to us. We're not kings over the people of God at this time. And so if it was very specific to his, you know, particular situation, it could almost gloss over us. But instead, what we have here is the words that perhaps many of us have felt. 
David is crying out because he feels like the Lord is not near. He's impatiently waiting. He's calling out for action. He's in this tension in his life where he's asking, but perhaps not seeing any results. The topic of prayer is one in which many people have written books, many people have preached sermons, and yet it is still one thing that most of us have a hard time grasping. It's not that it's too difficult for us. Indeed, a young child can pray and understands the concept. We understand the general concept of prayer. We know we can come to God in prayer, and yet for many of us, it's hard. We don't understand what's really happening. We don't see results. We lack motivation. We give up quickly, or we move into rote prayers that become disconnected from our hearts. So I want to start by just asking, what is it that we think about prayer? What do you think about when you hear the word prayer? What does it mean to pray? There are often two kind of camps that maybe we go into, some of us one way, some of us another, different traditions one way, other traditions another. Oftentimes, people think prayer changes God's mind. That if we don't pray, God won't act. In fact, if we want to see things happen, we ought to get as many people praying as possible. We have an upcoming event. We will do a prayer meeting. We have a problem in our lives. Send out prayer requests for as many people. Prayer chains. Indeed, having many people pray for things is not a bad practice. But of course, as we know, God is unchanging. He is the one who's in control of all things. The idea that somehow when we pray, God changes his mind, something about that we know is just not true. But what's the alternative? If we confess that prayer doesn't change God's mind, perhaps we think, what's the use of praying? God already knows what's going to happen. He's not going to change course because of our prayers. And what's the point? Perhaps that can push us into the other ditch. And that is that prayer is merely to help change us. To change our mental health. There are many studies out there that often lump prayer into the same category as meditation. That people who pray generally have higher level of mental health. Less stress, less anxiety. Indeed, I believe those studies are probably true. But is that really the aim of prayer? Is it the aim that we might feel better? That we might have less stress and anxiety? On some level, yes. We're supposed to come to Jesus to find rest. You're not supposed to be anxious about anything, but in all things, 
through prayer and supplication, make our requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What do we think about prayer? As we look at our passage today, it's helpful for us to see an example of prayer. An example of somebody who is desperate, who truly believes and trusts in the Lord and is coming to him in prayer, not with those preconceived ideas. David isn't just saying this prayer so he can feel better. So he has less stress as he's hiding out in a cave somewhere. It's not a meditation exercise for him. Indeed, it actually seems like if there's any bent to this, it's that he is praying for God to change his mind. Perhaps that's a challenge to us to consider. But we'll get to that in a bit. We really have three points today as we look through this psalm, and it's Really, the three characterizations of David's prayer. He is persistently patient. Two, he is painfully honest. And three, he praises while he waits. He's persistently patient, painfully honest, and praises while he waits. Persistently patient. First one, how long, O Lord? As I said, this might be something that we have wrestled with. Perhaps even today we have unmet expectations, unjust circumstances in our lives, and perhaps things we've brought to the Lord for years, for weeks. Perhaps we have a very acute issue in our lives, and we've been asking the Lord daily, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long? How long? How long? How long? I think we can surmise from these opening verses the fourfold how long that David has been waiting. David has been asking. David has been praying. Indeed, some of the other Psalms we've read could have been the prayers that came before this one. How long? Regardless of our default understanding of prayer, One of the things that this passage teaches us is it requires us to be patient, to be persistent. It's not that more prayers have more effect. Indeed, one prayer can be as effective as a million. One prayer from a small child can be as effective as a prayer of a million people. And the reason prayer is effective is not because of the quality or the quantity of our prayer, but because of the God that we are praying to. If we believe in the God that we are praying to, 
if we understand his character, if we place our trust in his care, we can persistently come. We can faithfully wait. Knowing that he hears us, knowing that he is working his will, And yet we might have to wait. We might have to wait. Even David, the anointed king of Israel, the one through whom his son can become the true and greater David, Jesus Christ, the, the most venerated Old Testament saint. He's not any further up in line in the prayer requests before God than you or I. Indeed, that's not how it works at all. How long, O Lord? And look at the painful honesty that David prays with. It's almost as if he's accusing God of wrongdoing. Will you forget me forever? David feels forgotten, as if God has disregarded his circumstance, as if he doesn't hear his prayer. It seems as if David lost touch with the Lord. Or rather, the Lord hasn't been answering his text messages. How long will you hide your face from me? It's not even like you've forgotten me. It seems that you're hiding from me. And when you think about the Lord's face, remember the benediction we have each week? The Lord's face shine upon you. It's an expression of his favor. Yet David feels like the Lord is so far away. His favor has left. He's been forgotten. Verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David feels like he's alone to figure it out. How long do I have to deal with this pain and sorrow? left to my own devices. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Here, David, the recipient of the promises of God, that he would be seated on this throne, that he would rule over the people of Israel, that his son would follow after him. How long are my enemies going to win? David is honest in expressing the way he feels. It's not as if he is making a case about how God is this mean and vengeful person. I think it's helpful for us to know that we can come to God in honesty. That he is far above our potential ridicule. That if you're mad, you can bring your anger. That if you are in despair and sorrow, you can bring your despair and sorrow and you can ask the hard questions that David asks. Did you forget about me? Where are you? How long do I have to wait? And 
Indeed, perhaps those are the most heartfelt prayers that we would ever pray. David goes on to make some requests. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David is begging to be heard. As he has persistently prayed, as he has asked time and time again, as he has spoken the truth, he is begging the Lord to hear, consider, answer. Lord, I need life in the midst of what looks like death. Indeed, David's life may have been in peril. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David's been shaken up. He looks like a man on the run. One who has been defeated. One who could be wiped away quite swiftly. David is painfully honest in his prayer. He's persistently patient as he prays. What we don't see next is the Lord answering him. We don't read... The Lord has heard my cry out of my affliction, and he's delivered me from all of my enemies. The Lord has turned his face upon me and shown his favor once again. The Lord has restored me in his favor. It almost seems like that should be inserted between verses 4 and 5. But it's not. We can only be left to assume David's next prayer will start the same way. How long, O Lord? Another day being forgotten. Another day where you feel so far away. Another day of sorrow. Another day where my enemies look victorious. How long, O Lord? But David doesn't end in despair. David, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his honesty, in the midst of these prayers where he feels like God is so far away and distant, what does he say? Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The Lord's salvation has not yet come to David in his circumstance. 
The Lord doesn't seem to have been dealing with him bountifully as we've read the prior verses. And yet David makes this confession as he persistently prays, as he's painfully honest about his circumstances, it still leads him to praise while he waits. Indeed, it's kind of ironic that so many of these psalms are songs. These aren't the types of songs we sing nowadays. Why don't our hymns have a verse about how the Lord's hidden his face from us, how we feel forgotten, how we're filled with sorrow, our enemies are winning. But that is what we have here in Psalm 13. This is a song to be sung for God's praise. There's something we've missed along the way that we don't sing songs like this, that places like church aren't places where we truly talk about the things going on behind the scenes, where we're not honest with one another and honest before the Lord. We confess our sins silently rather than to one another. We come dressed up nicely with smiles on our faces rather than in sorrow. Psalm 13 challenges those things for us. And yet it calls us to sing praise despite what's happening in our current circumstance. So I was thinking about this psalm and the idea of waiting. You know, you always kind of come up with some snappy illustration. And the first thing that came to my mind was the imagery of a dad driving his family on a vacation somewhere, maybe just down the road to church. And what do the kids say in the back seat? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How long? Often those scenes boil over into frustration on both sides. You know, the parent snaps and the kids cry and it's this, I'm going to turn the car around, right? We've all seen the movie. That fails to address really what's happening here. thinking more about this imagery of perhaps a member in the military who's been deployed. His children might ask him, how long are you going to be gone, Daddy? This same question that David's asking of the Lord, how long do I have to wait? It's it's an unanswerable question. David's not going to hear from the prophet that, well, God says it's going to be another 36 hours and everything will be home, fine. Dad's going to come back and he's going to take care of everything. It's almost a rhetorical question, right? But it's, it's communicating a longing to be reunited. And in the imagery of this member who's been deployed, you know that his desire is to be back, to be with his children. And perhaps while his kids are waiting, he's writing them letters to remind them. 
He's sending them gifts. There's little circumstances along the way where they can be reminded of his love, even though he's not there. And when he hears this question, how long will you be gone? Even in the best of circumstances, there's no promise that there's any answer. That perhaps he may not return. And in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of the separation... The the children still love their father. The father still loves their children. They don't stop loving one another because of the circumstance. His delay in returning is not a lack of care or love. The reality is he's part of something that transcends his own family unit. His personal life and circumstances aren't considered as the orders are given. But that's where the parallel between a military man on deployment is different than our Heavenly Father. Because this soldier would have no control over his circumstance. He doesn't get to call in sick and go back home. He doesn't drop the battle plans. But God does. And what's different is God is in control of all circumstances, and that's why we see here David singing praise while he waits. Indeed, David is being honest. David is crying out. David is in this terrible state. And yet he knows who God is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 reminds us to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Rejoice always, easy to do, and things are going well. Pray without ceasing, a little harder. Give thanks in all circumstances, oh, yeah, right? But that's what we see David do. It's oftentimes in these dry moments where we feel God is far away, where we feel forgotten, that we are really finding ourselves the crux in our lives, it will either drive us away into prayerlessness, cynicism, unbelief. Or like David, it will cause us to say, Lord, I need your light. I am dead without you. Don't forget me forever. Thankfully, we're not left to our own devices as we face trials in our lives. Perhaps a Bible verse we're familiar with from Romans chapter 8 says this, 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Don't overlook that verse. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We come to pray. We come to worship. We open our Bibles at home. We kneel beside our bed, and we don't know what to say, how to say it. We... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here, I think in Psalm 13, we see some pretty deep words. Some pretty true words. And yet the Spirit is far deeper. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind is knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here's the part we all know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God works all things together for the good. But it doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always look good. It doesn't seem good for David. We have a cheat sheet. We know that David ultimately is restored, that he goes on to be this great king. And you can think, yeah, I've seen that movie. It's got a good ending. Um, That's not the story of everybody in the Bible. That's rarely the story of the saints throughout the ages. But that does not nullify what this verse is speaking to. Just as the service member deployed as part of something far greater than the circumstances in his own life, just like everybody else he serves alongside, so it is for us, we, among the people of God, the army of the Lord of hosts, we are caught up in something so greater, so much bigger, that transcends all times, places, peoples, and circumstances. I can't imagine what it's going to be like at the end of the age when we finally get the answer to not only how long, but why? Why so long? Why did those people have to die? Why did that have to happen to me? Right now, we can feel the injustice of it. We can look around and think we got the short end of the stick. We can become cynical and jaded. But there will be a day when we make this confession that we have trusted in your steadfast love and our hearts rejoice in your salvation because we will see with clarity how God has worked all those things for his glory and for our good. But in the meantime, we have to wait. 
And where do we find our confidence? Oftentimes it's hard for us to be persistent in prayer. If we're painfully honest, we don't want to pray. We don't want to sing God's praise while we wait. We doubt whether or not he does care, whether or not he will ever answer. We doubt whether he is truly working all things for our good. Thankfully, our Lord does not base his work in subjective feelings within each one of our hearts. Instead, we have an objective, historical, earth-changing truth. Do we want to know if God's really working all things together for our good? Does he really care? That's what the gospel is all about. That us who feel forgotten, not only that, who have rebelled, who have turned against God, have become his enemies, have sinned against him and thought word and deed of every moment of our lives. And he has not forgotten us. He has not turned his face away from us. He has not left us to our own devices to make it right. Instead, he sent his son, who, by the way, suffered a lot of sorrow, wondered how long, can identify with us in our suffering and in our weakness, and yet shows us what faithfulness looks like. But beyond that, dies on a cross so that sinners like you and me can be forgiven. When we have doubts in our prayers, when we question God's love for us and his character, we need to look to the cross. For God so loved the world that his son had to die? Seems a little backwards, but it shows us the value. It shows us the cost to answer these prayers, to answer the prayers of David, to answer the prayers of all the people who've come before us, to answer our prayers and the prayers that will come as we wait. The people of God languished, wondering what God would do, especially before Christ came, as they felt the oppression of the Romans around them. He gave them the sign they weren't expecting, Christ crucified. That was how long it took. Until Christ came, then now we wait again. We languish here. We wonder how long. In some ways, we have the same hope. We wait for our resurrected Christ to come again to judge the living and the dead. Is that not what we confessed earlier with the words of the Nicene Creed? So as we wait, as we deal with disappointments and sorrow, as we wrestle with God through our honest questions, 
Let us be persistent. Let us be honest. Most importantly, let us remember who God is and let us praise him while we wait. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are in control of all things, that when we come to you, you hear us, and that you are faithful and trustworthy and true, and that while we wait, we can know who you are. Lord, help us to sing your praises. Help us to trust in your word. May it shape who we are and how we live. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.